0: Hello and welcome to the second row podcast. My name is Park Kelly, and as always, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at the second row. That's 2nd, not the word second. You can get in touch via email at info at the second row. And don't forget, this podcast is literally everywhere Apple Podcasts, Acast, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify you name it, it's there. So don't forget to like, share, and subscribe as you're listening or when you're done. With me this week is O McCone, he's been playing senior rugby for Connacht he'd been playing senior rugby for Connacht since 2010 up until this year as a mass 137 caps oh it's a pleasure to chat to you um how is life how's lockdown and corona ireland treating you
1: yeah not too bad i think um i think well, we've managed to adapt to it quite well it's uh, obviously it's different um and i think some people are in uh are in a worse position than than we are but um yeah, for the moment it's uh, it's it's been okay. We've been able to train away as as normal, managed to make do with a couple of weights uh, at the house here to keep ourselves ticking over, and uh, yeah, other than that, I I don't have too many complaints. I haven't had anybody in in my family directly affected by uh, by the coronavirus either. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's been okay. Boredom has probably been the, my only complaint, and uh, that's not a real complaint. So uh, yeah, it's been okay.
0: Fair enough. Before we go talking to, say, this season and, and stuff like that, I just want to, I always like to get a picture of where players came from. And you were a Galwegian underage, like you've been playing rugby all your life, effectively.
1: Yeah. So, as you said, I, I would have been uh, Galwegians um, growing up when I was, oh God, anywhere, maybe kind of eight or nine. And then, uh, so I, I used to live... Just directly across, and kind of tail over and ran more, and then I moved across town to um to Or my parents moved, I should say. So I ended up moving schools, and I I moved from kind of uh one one school to to the Jazz, and then from about fifth class onwards, really, it was um it was just rugby all the way. Um, and then obviously went from the primary into the secondary school at, at Jazz there and as you say, that's predominantly rugby and and, and for for girls, uh, hockey. So obviously then when I finished up again with uh, in school, I would have gone back to regions again um, and played a bit of rugby with them before kind of being integrated a bit more full-time with the the senior team at Connacht.
0: And like in all that time, you're capped at underage at so many levels and you went to the, the World Cup in, as an under, under 20. Like how was that experience?
1: Yeah, it was good. I mean, it was probably the first real sort of the closest thing to kind of professional rugby that you got at that age, like you would have come up through kind of under 18s and, and under 19s and got a small flavor for it. But I think it starts to ramp up a bit when you get to under 20s and the professionalism just gets that a little bit higher again. Still probably not where, obviously, where the where, where the senior team is or, or where the college seniors are, but it's definitely not too far off. And, um, yeah, it just gives you a flavor of kind of what, what it is to expect and see whether you're able to fit into that sort of, Professional structure of uh, of where rugby is at the moment. So um, yeah, we had a World Cup in um, in uh, in Italy at the time, and we were only about an hour train ride right out from um, from Venice. So um, good experience. I mean, playing. I think the turnarounds are quite short when when you're under twenties, you're playing every kind of three or four days. So um, it's probably not as demanding on the body back then. So you're you're kind of playing back to back fairly uh, fairly quick, and the turnover is quite short. So um no it was good great experience and, and great to see uh, that part of italy um for the time it was there fortunately we didn't didn't do as well as we would have liked um considering probably the caliber of the team we had that year we we, we probably should have done a bit better but i think it was it was some close calls with uh with uh, against england and against south africa and i think if you go and look at uh if you go and look at even the south african team there's a lot of world cup winners that are on that team and um, the English team that, that would have played South Africa a lot of boys from that team that were, were playing in the World Cup final as well so I think that year particularly um, at that World Cup was a lot of uh, really high quality players that went on to achieve uh, much greater things so don't um, be too hard on ourselves either you know
0: It can be so hard at age grade because it's just one 12 months window of if you have someone in a great group there's just not much you can do about that but another another year or two later and it's a completely different story
1: yeah, I think so. And I'm uh, definitely at that age. There is, like, the, the I suppose the physicality gap is 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 quite big. So if you uh, I like you can have someone who was born at I don't know in January of 1990 and someone who's born in, in December of kind of the same year, and that's just how it works. So you can have players that are almost essentially a full year older. And when you're 19 or 20, that's huge at that. At that age level so it kind of levels itself out then when when guys start hitting kind of 22 23 it, it becomes less relevant but definitely at that younger age um physicality comes into it massively and, and and england would have have well i would have said would have used to have the jump on us and, and the like south africa but i definitely think it's leveling up now i think the, the the guys come out of school here in uh in ireland are are almost more professional than than the, the the senior team, so uh, no, it's, it's it's come a long way, I think, since then. Even so, um, it's good to see.
0: And from there, you entered the Khan Academy, and it would have been a much different Kent Academy at that stage. What was it like your time in the academy?
1: Yeah, it was good. I mean, like I suppose when I compare it to the cat, the, the way the academy's run now, they're they're in almost as much as we were the the senior team. Like m- maybe not literally as much, but I feel like they're there an awful lot more than I used to be there when we were. In the academy, it was sort of maybe, um, we sort of had a skill session on a Monday evening, and then you'd wait prior to college on the Tuesday and the Thursday, and then you could, you could vary the time for a wait on the Thursday. So it was a lot, it was more about sort of the physical development side, and then sort of the rugby development side fell on the, the likes of the youth tournaments, like the underage, the under 18s, and, and all the camps that you would have in during school breaks, whereas, um, I think now at the moment, they're, there's probably more expected of the the academy guys um, coming up, especially if they're if they're integrating in to the senior team at all. They uh, there is a high demand of them, to be fair, and I think it's probably tougher now to balance the the college, academy and training and all that uh, for the players now. Whereas, you know, it was it was bar having a little bit of discipline for us to get up and get in and get weights done before college. After that, then it was it was it was all college is what you were focusing on. So the guys now have to deal with like doing weight and doing pitch sessions and all the other extras that come with it. Just because the game is is gone that direction, it's become a lot more professional. So the the, the demands that are there need to be there because um, when you look at you know where the games going physically and all that, like the guys have to be on top of of themselves. Um, from that point of view. So yeah, I mean, it, I, I really enjoyed the academy. I, I enjoyed the fact that I was able to get a taste of sort of enjoying college as well as keep the rugby ticking along uh, alongside it. So um, yeah, it was, it was a good experience as well. We, we actually had a year where we, <laughs> we, Nigel Carlin, who was the academy coach at the time, tried to get um, the majority of the academy to play with the college team. So we had a year there where we, we had a good chunk of us playing with the college, um, underage and it was um, yeah it was a good year it was a good fun year of playing rugby so um, something I kind of look back on fondly
0: What was it like training under Nigel as a senior player then like a couple of years later has he has he changed much from his academy days?
1: Uh, I suppose uh, not really like I think his, his his philosophy of training stayed the same like Nigel's always a like, very attack focused coach and always wanted to play with ball in hand always wanted to keep the ball alive and and uh, probably the only difference is that you're doing it now within structure whereas when you're the academy coach you can kind of localise different skills and and work on them whereas now he's probably trying to uh, implement those skills but within the whole team structure so um, I don't think his philosophy has changed like definitely loves playing on the front foot um, uh, loves the (laughs) the skillful side of the game Um, and as I said he's, he's He's been there. He's been our attack coach um, for the last two years, so um, he, he probably has slightly more dealings with the backs when they do their units. But um, yeah, when he definitely when he comes together with us as a full team, it's all all out attack. So uh, no, he's been good.
0: Do you remember your first Connacht cap against Scarlets?
1: I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did you find yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, I, I, I didn't find it too bad. I think it was, I think it was a week where there was, so there, I think there have been. Some bad weather, maybe kind of around uh, February, and a few games were postponed. So I think we got to a, a period in the season where we had to play uh, play Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, or or Friday, Wednesday, Saturday, or something like that. And the last game of of that block of three was against um, Toulon at home in the in the Challenge Cup semi final or the European semi final, and. So, yeah, they wanted a rest place. they couldn't play lads in three games, so it was probably by pure chance I managed to get a a shot and I think I can't remember who I came on for, but I remember being on the bench with Johnny O'Connor anyway, but I think he was more keen on saving himself for uh saving himself for Toulon, so I was happy enough to take my my thirty minute cameo off the bench but yeah, I remember just being quite eager to get the ball in hand and uh and play a bit a play a bit of ball i think the game was probably out of uh, of reach at that stage by the time I got on. So there wasn't too much pressure. So um, yeah, exactly. I was able to come on and uh, and get a few carries and uh, and get a few touches and I was happy out.
0: And then the following year, Eric Elwood kind of took over as coach and you kind of, you started getting more and more performances. I remember reading that you said that you've always looked up to Eric. What was it like having him as a coach, especially given that how much you looked up to him as you're coming up through the ranks?
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I, I I, suppose it was more that Eric was, I think it was asked a question on, like, what was my first sort of memory of of kind of rugby and when did I, you know, what, like, with the, if you think back, what were the earliest memories I had of rugby? And I think it was always of what I remember was Eric being the 10, obviously, for Galwegians back when, back when the AIL was the main competition, probably slightly before the Celtic League and, um, yeah, as I say, he was always sort of like a sort of a a big figure uh, in Connacht and on the rugby scene, and um, yeah, I think the it was the transition probably it wasn't as evident in the sense that he was he coached under under Brad before he took over, and I mean yeah, it was great to have great to have a guy like Eric coaching you like the he um however many caps for Ireland and the experience that came with it, so. Um, yeah it was great to have and he was also the first coach that gave me my uh or he was supposed to give me my first professional contract as well so um it's something I'll forever be grateful for
0: you always you always remember the person who gives you your first professional job i'm the same in in what i do and i'm always like i'm not i'm only where I am because of that person it's there's some connection that you can't describe that you'll always have with that person
1: yeah i think so and it was because. Like Robbie, Robbie could be yeah, uh, it can be harsh at times. And I think the year before, so the year he took over, I was probably, I think I, I I I quite a good few, quite a lot of appearances, but really just appearances on the bench and not did. I don't think I started once that year, and I think I thought at the time that that was good enough to make the like make the cut for the senior team. But I was quite naive, and I think I was close enough to probably lose in my contract that year, but. I think instead of sort of dwelling on it, I, I kind of went away that summer, um, worked extremely hard. I remember thinking, I, I didn't really take any time off that summer. I was trying to get weighed on and bulk up and, and be ready for the fitness test and when we got back. And um, it all paid dividends because I got a chance early on that season um, in his second year, and uh, I think I played pretty much every game, bar a couple with injury, but I uh, played the majority of the games that year. And, and uh, that was sort of my breakthrough season. So, um, yeah, look, I mean, it, it was sort of a silver lining uh, type situation where, you know, I, I almost lost it. I was one foot out the door and then managed to turn it around the following season. So, um, yeah, strange, strange the way rugby can work that way.
0: It it takes a lot of drive to, to do those type of things, especially when you're at such a young age that, it shows why you became such one of the, the core members of that team that you were able to do that. And when Pat Lamb took over, there were some good highlights when he came. What was it like playing against Toulouse in that famous win?
1: Yeah, it was good. I mean, like it, it, it was probably exactly what we needed when Pat came in. It was just a complete re- refreshment of of play and of culture and everything. And it, it was... He came in with his sort of philosophy uh, and just changed the way we taught and changed the, our approach to rugby and, and all that. And I think uh, obviously the first year we actually didn't do quite well. We, yeah, we had that win over in Toulouse, which was, which was great. But in terms of um, consistency, we didn't do well at all. We finished bottom of the league, but I think that was part of the process of implementing a new game plan that we just hadn't been used to. So it took a full year to kind of get used to it. And I, and I think then. His second year, we were probably quite lucky to, actually quite unlucky not to qualify for the Champions Cup. I remember we were in a playoff against uh, Gloucester actually over there, and God, it went to extra time. It was an unbelievable high-scoring game. But we, as I said, we were really unlucky not to qualify that year. And then, obviously, the following year, we we ended up winning the winning the league. So it was, um, yeah, definitely, it it took a bit of time to build. I, I think things don't happen overnight, and um, that was one thing. Pat managed to do was to implement a plan and uh luckily enough we were able to take it on board and uh, and get it to silverware by the, by the third year.
0: Well listening to Pat, you know, he really bought into Connacht and the culture and the community. Did that feed into you as a team and was his public persona any different to his kind of coaching and private persona?
1: Um not really. Like I I, I think he believed in like in, in what he spoke about um and I think it filtered through the squad like I think Probably the thing Pat did more so than anyone, um, or did that like he think he did to bring the best out of players was probably to make things a little bit uncomfortable. So, like it went from sort of little really minor details from like I, I know it sounds it sounds fairly benign, but like just cleaning up after yourself, making sure the change room was tidy, um, making sure you had your review done. Um, little things on the pitch, you know, when you got on the pitch, it was training, like, and then if you wanted to make jokes, it was outside of the pitch, you know, sort of little things, but it definitely all filtered through. And I think when you have that level of commitment, it, it just filters through the whole, it filters through everything, it filters through the whole organization. And that's what he was all about. It was all about the little one percenters to kind of, to make, to, you know, to accumulate and make a big difference. And that was one of the things I will always remember in the way he implemented his culture was, small little details matter. Do you know what I mean? So if it, with the, the second you start thinking, oh, it's just a small detail, it doesn't matter. That's when I think standards on the pitch start to slip. So um, I think, yeah, absolutely. Like he he practiced what he preached and he definitely drove the standards um, within our group. And uh, and yeah, we, we definitely benefited from it.
0: A lot of interviews said that when Pat took over, it was kind of almost an evolution of the play that had been kind of happening step by step under Eric as well. How enjoyable was it to play pat ball for one of for one of a better term,
1: as in never never kicking the ball away, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, look. I think that year when the year we won it, where we we knew the system so well and we were able to play it so well that it didn't really matter where on the pitch we were. The teams just found it extremely difficult to play against us. I remember we had a we had a week where. Um, I think we were playing Grenoble, um, I think it was at the time, and they were running the same system as us. And I remember we ran it. So we were running it, this, our own system against each other in training. And I just remember trying to defend it and just being out on my feet. And I was going, God, I was like, if this is how hard it is to defend our system in training, like I can't imagine what it's like to defend in a game. So I think um, when, we, when we got there, because obviously – it, it this is it didn't happen over like overnight that system like we were that was something that was building for three years and um, I suppose when you look at it it took us three years to perfect it but that's exactly what we did and that year we went we had an unbelievable run of games we didn't lose too many at all and um, yeah as I said when when it came down to as you said pat ball and we weren't kicking it it was complete buy in from the team and we we just knew that we weren't going to kick the ball because analysis was done and if if it was a case that a team was dropping three in the backfield or four in the backfield well we knew there was going to be space somewhere and it was just about us you know nailing our jobs and then we were going to find space and I think um, that was the most important thing is that everyone bought into what we were going to do for that game and uh, evidently it worked a lot of the time <laughs>
0: the year of the pro 12 win there's three things that stand out to me uh, from the season um, one was that that mad trip to Russia that half the team had to take. Oh yeah how how big a galvanizing effect did that have on the group? I know I, you didn't go over, but what was it like when they all came back in their drips and drabs? And and what was that whole situation like <sighs> from your side?
1: Uh, well, I was actually quite jealous. Uh, I, I I can't remember why I to I something I don't know what it was at the time, but I just remember the lads staying over there for another three or four nights in in, uh, in Krasnagarsk and just being like being extremely jealous I was like Damn, I wish I was over there but the thing about <laughs> it was when that 15 or the main 15 that started that week it, I don't I don't know if any of them started the following weekend I think it was because it was European weekend so that was the that was where we got really good strength that year was the fact that we were able to play a certain 15 one weekend and then rotate a lot of lads the next weekend and still get a result and um, yeah, it was just—I was mad. It was comical enough for a moment watching it, but uh, I definitely think it's—it's uh, it's one experience that most of the lads that were over there will never forget.
0: And there was another moment that kind of—I felt—that brought the team together, and I call it laptop gate. Robbie's laptop going missing seemed to have a very <laughs> big effect on the team that season.
1: Was that the, was that the year we won it?
0: That was the same year that okay, you won the okay. the, won the title, uh, and. Uh,
1: no, I don't I don't think so. I think that was just uh that was just a a, a, a minor incident that just got blown out of proportion. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think like it was actually it was so it was Robbie was living with me that year and we uh yeah, it was I was just a weird one. It was just yeah, I I think it was just young guys broke into the car and uh we managed to have obviously with 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 Apple, uh you know you have once someone connects to the internet it, it pinged exactly where the where the where the device is so it's just what well, i was like right we'll just keep an eye on because they'll eventually look to get online and then they did and then it was uh it was wasn't far it was, it was a couple of a down and uh i think we uh, yeah i think we called the guards but in the meantime, while we're waiting on the guards, call down to <laughs> do a bit of uh, do a bit of investigating ourselves, and um, I think there was uh, a couple of members of the estate that just decided to get it all on camera, and uh, yeah, it, it was it was a storm in a teacup. There was nothing to it. We got the laptop back, and there was nothing else to it. But uh, yeah, it was just it was a, it was a funny incident, but it just shows you you can't do anything anymore with social media, or or else you're uh, it's all over the news.
0: In all fairness, I haven't seen the videos. I just I've just know that our laptop went missing and a group of you went to go get it back. So, you know, if it was today, there'd be five different angles and HD cameras everywhere. So I think you got lucky a small bit.
1: Yeah, yeah maybe, maybe. Well, lucky, but nothing, nothing nothing, happened in the end. There was a few words exchanged, I think. It was all that was the height of it. So, um, yeah, that was about it.
0: <laughs> Uh, you're talking about like the in you had that year was incredible. The the win in tournament was such a big occasion because like that hasn't been one of Connex' happy hunting grounds over the years. I think that really gave the team such belief going forward. From look from the outside looking in, anyway.
1: Yeah, like it was. I think when when you get when you get on a run like that where you're winning games and you get used to winning games, it was such a confidence in the squad. I think. Like there was a stage where I was, you could almost line it out. And I was like, yeah, we're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. And that was the sort of confidence that was there. And it was, it was actually, it was, it was extremely enjoyable. Like, uh, yeah, it it, it was nice to be able to win the, win the league at the end of the year. But like, what was almost more enjoyable about it was the confidence going out each weekend, almost knowing that we were going to win or that we were going to beat the team. And even the, the games where we went down, there was never a point where we were like, oh, we're going to lose this game. It was all about stick to the process and the result will look after itself. And um, it's probably one of the main things I remember from that year was literally just being able to just literally grind out grind out these wins in these games. And um, the consistency of, of getting results like that was, was extremely enjoyable that year. And as I said, it was evident there when we got big results like that down in Tolman, which was, uh, which was impressive. But I think the most impressive thing was that year was just but the consistency of the results, um, as you said, we we we've had you, it's any team can pull out big results here and there, and do you know what I mean, and not string them together. But when you're consistently winning, that's the sign of a good team, not just winning one off one-off games, you know.
0: Those final three games, like in the those back to backs against Glasgow at the end of the year, and then the game against Leinster, I think they were just kind of proving to everyone in the press anyway that you might have been saying this is because of the of the world cup at the top of the year but we're doing it here at the business end against these teams that it must be a nice feeling to kind of prove people wrong or kind of go this isn't a flash in the pan
1: uh yeah i like i i, I don't think we ever i like we always left the external chat of the media be external we never let that and penetrate the the internal group and whatever was said on the outside good or bad it didn't affect what we thought anyway. So I don't think it made it, like it wasn't a thought that ever crossed our minds. It, maybe it was something that more so for the fans that they could be like, oh, well, look, our team has done it. But it was never something we thought about. We were just focused on us and and what we could control. And like if, the, if they had a full team or whether they didn't have a full team, it didn't matter. We just had to play whichever team it was in the day. And, and that's all we focused on.
0: What are your memories of the final? because I say you don't remember much the week after but <laughs> the day the day itself what do, what do you take from it
1: yeah I think the definitely something that I remember was getting off the bus I, I, or even the I suppose from kind of I, I couldn't tell you exactly where on the way to Merchant but there was some stage where it was just like it seems to me n- nothing but connect support the whole way and then it was getting heavier and heavier till, till we got down to sort of where the tunnel was and the, the, the stairs with the balconies over the bus, like, and everybody just singing the Fields of Aston Ryan. I remember just like getting goosebumps on the back of my neck for that part. And I was like, this is something that I, it was not, I don't want to say it because I know the rugby, rugby sport is unbelievable, but it was almost, it was kind of reminded me of almost like a, a sort of a football atmosphere where it was just like unbelievably intense. Um, and that was before the game even started. Like, so yeah that was I think that one thing that's one memory that I'll, I'll never forget and and it was the same again after like when we like obviously it was great being in the change and all that but again coming out to see it was see the support and even if you go as far as when we got back to knock um there, there I think there was a couple of thousand people at knock to greet us there at whatever time in the morning and then the following day I remember Pat saying I remember we were getting a double-decker bus and Pat being like oh, okay you know, be careful now today. that's going to be a, a lot of big crowd here. And we were kind of going, like, there won't be a big crowd. Like, you know, everyone's still stuck in Edinburgh. Because they were, I, think, I remember the flight, a lot of people that went over couldn't actually get back until, like, late the following day. And there was probably 20,000 people that showed up or whatever it was on, on the day. I can't remember exactly the figures. And I, I was blown away by that. And I was going, God, it really, that's probably when it resonated that it was what we kind of achieved winning it do you know what I mean whereas when you're on game day when you're kind of in the zone and you're getting in in ready for the game you're it's, it's, you're not thinking about it it's only after when you can kind of relax and see what it means to other people and what it meant to the people around the province that you really kind of realize what we've done so yeah that was probably those two memories of kind of getting to the game and uh, and then the, the the amount of people that were showing support after the game was uh was unbelievable
0: and how did you kind of harness that emotion before the game? You know, as you're saying, you had goosebumps. How did you manage to harness that into a performance? And how did the the, the
1: squad do that? Uh, again, it's it's, it's it's we're doing it all year. Like we big games prior to that. Like uh, I think obviously we were on a bigger stage there, but like we we some huge games as you alluded to there, like against Glasgow. Um and I think towards the end of the year we'd games against Leinster, um, Munster, like we'd some pretty big games leading into that final that had us well prepped. Um, so I don't think it was a case that we felt like we were going to get stage fright on the bigger stage, you know what I mean? Just because it was Edinburgh. So we'd been used to playing, you know, under pressure for the year. And especially when the pressure came on, I know it didn't seem like it as much because it's not a, a final per se, but like a, there was a stage during the year where we were like, right, we need to win this game to qualify for Champions Cup. And then it was like, right, we need to secure top four. And then it was like, we need to secure semi finals, So we had all those kind of little pressures that people probably didn't realize as much. So, when it came to the final, then it was just it was just another day to, to perform. And as I said, we we were always so strongly uh, process based or process focused that the external conditions didn't really make a difference. Uh, we always just knew that the result was going to take care of itself.
0: And when did you actually start partying?
1: <laughs> oh, I don't I don't even know. Um, I think there was a solid week in Galway. Anyway, that was. Uh, yeah, that was yeah a solid week in Galway, and then I think I had I to fly out to, or well, the major, I got a few of us had to fly out to, um uh, one of the players was getting married in uh, in Portugal, so that was another week, and then it was straight from there on to Ireland, went, everyone went their separate directions then, I think, after that uh, holiday, um, so yeah, it was a long, it was a good summer, it was a good summer, put it that way. <laughs>
0: what are the, the that, like that first week, what are the maddest things that were happening in Galway, and like, I say you didn't pay for
1: a drink anywhere. Yeah, I, yeah, just, I, just, yeah, I, I think there was the, like, the, I think it was on Puka on the first night, just basically, we basically shut the place down. Like, they were just, yeah, <laughs> sir, <laughs> place, it was just, yeah, served The place. I think it was on a Sunday as well. It wasn't even like a, and like everyone normal people had worked the next day and it was rammed. And then the following night, I think we were down around uh, like the front door and that. And I think I remember the guards coming out and just closing off the road because we were all out chanting. Um, and then, yeah, i oh, got other than that, really, wasn't nothing, nothing too major. I think it was just everybody was just uh, so buzzing after the win that, um, yeah, there was, nothing, there was nothing too crazy. I mean, closing off the road so we could have a few chants probably
0: the idea. <laughs> <laughs> and what has been kind of like since because it's very hard to constantly perform at that level like pat lamb left the season after that seemed to like affect the team or from the outside looking in and between that and teams kind of figuring out the system and how to defend against it the team seemed to stutter almost for a year or two
1: yeah um, I, it's to know. Like, I think, uh, like there's a couple of guys moved on, and um, couple, yeah, like obviously, it's it, it's tough to it's tough to keep that level for that long. Um, like we were the ones with the crosshairs on our back that following season, obviously being the champions, and it wasn't a case where it was like, okay, Connacht, they're coming now, and you know it should be an easy win. It was like we were the we were the top dogs to beat, so everyone was putting out their top performances and. I think that's where you have to kind of applaud some of the teams like, I suppose you could say Leinster have done it in Glasgow and all these Munster that have like stayed at the top of the league year in, year out and, and are able to back up these seasons where, you know, it's a, to- like, it's a tough, like thing to do for us. Like, and obviously Pat moved on, so then we had a new coach to change the style. And then, um, Kieran Keane moved on and a new coach to change the style. And like every, as I said, it, it probably took three years to get to, where we were under Pat and then it's like it's uh, it, it's a tough thing to do for a coach to implement a new system and a new philosophy and a new culture and everything that um, it doesn't just happen overnight so I think it's um, yeah it's just uh, when, when you when you when you change a coach and, and and everything gets changed you're almost starting from scratch again and and then he wants to build his squad the way he wants it and, and it goes on so that's just the way that's just the way rugby is it's just the way it works so um, at the moment now, yeah, it looks like Friendy's building it the way he wants to build it, and yeah, we'll see how they go, we'll see if they if they if they can bring uh, a bit of success back again, but um, only time will tell, I suppose.
0: What are those conversations like at at contract time? Like, Kant announced last week that you're one of a, a large amount of players that are leaving the club. How? What are those conversations like?
1: Uh, no, they're never they're never easy. Um, especially because I always felt like, well, I didn't feel like I was, uh, I didn't feel like I should have been let go. I obviously was. I I felt like in another couple of years left with me with the, with the club. But I mean, like things happen. Uh, coaches have have different viewpoints, uh, and and it's not just um, it's just not it's not me and the coach making decisions. There's a whole other. Hosts decision makers in making calls now, uh, and that's just the way the system is. So, yeah, look, it's it is what it is. Yeah, like it, it's it's not something they can dwell on. I think um, all you can really ask for as a player is is honesty. And um, if you get honesty, and it, whether it's own, whether it works in your favour or it doesn't, well, like you can still have respect for uh, a man sitting across from the table from you as long as you're being honest. It's only when if only if there's ever a bit of a dishonesty there and you're not being told the truth that it becomes the the water becomes a bit murky and it's like that's when you start to have issues. But I mean, at the end of the day, like we're all grown men and whether the decision is you're in or out, like, you, you know, you just take it on the chin. Um, and as long as the coaches uh, and the decision makers have been transparent, then, you know, that's that's all you can ask for. So it's. um yeah, it's, 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 obviously, it's, it's not ideal when you're, when, when the conversation isn't going well, uh, or, or, or I should, should I say the contract isn't going well and it's, it looks like you're not getting kept on. I think it's not easy and it's not easy for the coaches to give you that information either, but I mean, it's, it's part and parcel of the game at this stage and, uh, it's just something you have to deal with. And as I said, the more transparency that's there, the easier, the, the easier it'll be for both parties. So, um, that's all you can really ask for at the end of the day.
0: And what does the future hold next for you, or do you know yet?
1: Yeah, so like I obviously, given the situation, like I'm I'm not going to be with Cardiff. Obviously, um, I haven't fully ruled out going elsewhere, but with everything that's going on with the state of some of the unions, with the when I pay cuts, pay deferrals, everything, it's it's just it's. Like, look, I don't know. I don't know whether whether there'll be something there for me or not. I've only been putting the my focus into stuff that I can control, and at the moment, I can't control the rugby side of things because there's no games and because um no one knows if for definite when the games are back. There's set dates, but you know, they're, we're all at the mercy of the governments, depending on what they decide to do. So, I've really just been putting the focus into um where what I can do off the pitch and. When it comes time to make a decision, I'll be making de- I'll be making a decision that's best for me and my career going forward, whether it's off the pitch or on the pitch. So that's where I'm at at the moment, and I'm only I'm only putting my focus on the controllable and uh, the stuff I can't control. I'm just um I'm just trying to ignore it. So that's that's where I stand on that at the moment.
0: Oh yeah, no, I understand because like as as somebody who's represented players for rugby players Ireland, you have a very unique view on those type of things because you're working with an organization that is kind of helping players prep for after rugby life
1: yeah exactly and like i mean i suppose it's it's sort of a, a practice what you preach scenario now in the sense that i i yeah i'm in a situation where i i could be trans- transitioning into into industry or whatever it may be so um at the end of the day you still have to have yourself as well equipped as possible because um you know when the time comes, and it does come for everyone. It's 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 not like you're it's not like something you can avoid forever. There's very few players that still you know, build up a, a high enough repertoire and profile that they can just you know fall back in rugby for the rest of their life. But the majority of the players, that's not the case, and and you do have to go and work. So it's really just like how how well you can have yourself equipped to deal with the situation when it arrives. Because you know I suppose like I'm lucky enough that I'm. You know, I'll be 29 at the end of this month, and I'm I've I, I've no kids, so I've no real responsibility. So, uh, in one stage, I'm like, look, is it, is it better to be in the situation now, or would it be better to be in the situation three, four years down the line when I could have, you know, maybe a kid or two, and that I, I I'm looking after them as well. So, like that's the way I'm looking at. it, I'm looking at it positively. And um, if it's a case that I I I finish up uh, the summer, then great. And if not, and I get another couple of years somewhere else, then that's also great. So. Um, yeah, look, uh, as I said, I'm, I'm trying to keep as positive as I can about it, but um, uh, but that's that's yeah, that's about it. Is.
0: And knowing your mum like I do, I don't think she'd let you not be positive about it either.
1: Carol <laughs> yeah. is a um... <laughs> an avid fan, yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, thanks very much for coming on. It's been great to chat to you. I Don't want to take too much time up for you. Even it's uh, it's late, it's getting late, and I have to be up at five o'clock in the morning to be a postman. <laughs> <so>. <laughs>
1: I don't envy you there. I won't be up too, I won't be up too far, too long after you. anyway. I'm an early riser myself, so um, it makes it a bit easier with the bright mornings anyway.
0: Yeah, it does, and uh, I, and as you're saying, you're you're still keeping fit, so you have still got to do all your own training on top of everything else.
1: Yeah, exactly. I I I I think I'll be training um, till I'm fifty anyway. I I don't like going too uh, too many days without getting some sort of physical activity in. So it's, uh yeah, I'm, I'm definitely keeping fit anyway.
0: That's good. Uh, it's good to hear. And hopefully, we'll see you again soon, be it on or off the rugby pitch.
1: Yeah, perfect.
0: Thanks, everyone, for coming on. It was great to chat to you again. And don't forget, everyone, to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. So until next week, take care and stay safe.